Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. Welcome to Mindful Social. This week I have Jason Lauritsen. He's an author of a really great new book, and we're going to tell you about that in a little bit. But first, I just want to say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and where you're where are you at right now? Where am I at? Well, right now, right now, this moment, I am in my home office looking out the window at my beautiful green yard and the sun is shining and it's going to be really warm here today in Nebraska where I live. And so we're we're happy because it hasn't been like that very much. It seems like the spring we we've, we've had some cold rainy weather. So, mm. so I, I am, I am in a happy place uh, uh, in, in that regard today. Uh, my, so a li- little bit about me. I am, you know, the, the things I am most proud of is I am a husband and father I have three children. The oldest is uh, almost 22. The youngest is nine. Uh, we, uh, we live, like I said, in, in, uh, on the outskirts of Omaha, Nebraska. We live on a beautiful little compound. We love it out here. We call it the compound. It's just a little acreage. But uh, uh, very much, I'm a Midwestern kid, so I love open spaces, and I love living in the Midwest. Uh, found my way professionally I was always kind of a, an activist. I was always looking for, you know, even starting in like middle school, I was always looking, like wanting to make things better, kind of agitate the system to make things better. And that, that pointed me in a lot of different direc- directions. But eventually when I got to the world of work and realized how terribly screwed up it was, like then I, I'm like, this is it. This is the thing. Like I'm going to spend, <laughs> I think so, on some level a switch went off and it was like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to fix this because this is ridiculous. So that's probably the best summary of me that I can give you to get us started. Mm. Well, that's great. I like that. I like that. And the title of the book is Unlocking High Performance. It is. Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I'd love to tell you that it's some, like, I, I wish I had some romantic kind of epic story of an origin story of this title. But the, the true story is the title that my publisher wanted to put on the book was terrible. And, uh, and I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to write a book that has that title on it because that's a terrible title and I would never say that. And so then we started a negotiating process mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think I went back to them at one point with Unleashing High Performance, and they already had a book that had Unleash in the title. So they said, how about Unlocking? And I said, okay, I can live with Unlocking. And then actually, once we decided on it, I actually have fallen in love with that concept and, I, and the idea of it. It's sort of interesting how ideas come to be, but that's, that's the true story. I don't think I've told anybody that story before. <laughs> that's exactly how the title came to be. Mm, okay. And one of the things you talk about in the book is that work is broken. It's very what broken. That, what does that mean to you and what does it mean to me? Well, it, so there's it's sort of on two levels. I'll answer that on two levels. I think on the first level is that most people, you know, when you're sitting around the coffee shop or the, you know, 
the bar is a really good place to get these conversations because people are there trying to sort of recover from what happened to them at work that day or last week or whatever. But you ask them about work and their experience of work and you ask them to describe sort of what it's like. And it's, you know, the kinds of things you hear are really disheartening. They're really, you know, um, it's, it's just, it's hard to understand how we can, you know, have been at this as long as we have. And people, a majority of people still go to work every day and come home feeling less than, than when they left in the morning. Like they, mm. you know, the work took a chunk out of them. It made them, you know, they're stressed. They're, you know, they're, they've been made to feel smaller. They've been made to feel inadequate, whatever that is. So on the human level, our experience of work is broken. It's and it's breaking us as human beings, which is unnecessary. So that so that's sort of one. The second level is that I believe that that happened because systemically the way that work works, the way we've designed work, sort of the model that we run today still in most organizations is broken. And so it's broken it's broken on the sense of what it's doing but it's the reason it's doing to employees what it is is because I think systemically the system is broken. Hmm. And what do you think it is then? Is it that we don't have a relationship with work that we're locked in and it's a thing we go and do and then we have a life or hmm. what? That, well, that is a big part of it. I think the the relationship that we have with work is at the center of everything um sort of the center of my work and the way i think about this and the, how that that became obvious to me over i guess 20 some odd years of experience that it really is work is a relationship and fundamentally what what is broken i think in the system level is that work actually evolved or was designed v- out of necessity, actually, early on. So if you go back 100 years to when you know, industrialization was, was happening and we had all of these factories where you know, people were coming off the, you know, off the farm and moving to the city for these new jobs and they're working in these factories where they're doing sort of rote, uh, mechanical, routine, repetitive work for long hours, um, they, the conditions became really bad. People weren't happy. They, I mean, they were literally like dying and getting hurt or whatever. So the, the, the rise of labor unions meant that um, people, these unions were negotiating with employers and creating contracts for how work was supposed to happen. What, how are they supposed to treat people and pay people and all of that? And over the last hundred years, we just really, we adopted that, that way of treating work as a contract thinking of it as a contract, the employer with the employee. And we've really played that out and built that into our system. And so most organizations today still treat it that way. And a lot of our management and HR systems still reflect that. If you think about, you know, what, what is a policy manual or what is a job description other than, you know, these are the contractual requirements mm-hmm. for you as my employee for me to pay you, right? So you show up and give me your effort in this way uh, to these expectations. And if you do that, then I will pay you. If you don't, then I will fire you. Like that's a contractual relationship. Um, and that's how it is. We wonder why work isn't fun. Yeah. Right. And then, and then you've got people showing up every day and we know that people, we know through all the employee engagement data that we collect that the things that, 
that engage us in our work, that make us want to do our best work, that make us give more of ourselves are things like feeling valued and trusted and cared for um, and appreciated and, and uh, a sense of belonging, all of those things. Like none of that sounds like a contract, right? Mm-hmm. The contract delivers none of that. And so the employees showing up sort of expecting relational things, expecting the work to feel like a relationship, the company's treating it like a contract okay, well, no wonder it's broken. No wonder that relationship isn't working. And so th- I think that's what's at the, at the root of it. So let's say, for example, that we're in a company that has these you know, very archaic policies where you know, this is how the job is going to be done. And we've been in there for a little while. We know what the rules are and we're a manager. How mm. can we create an environment for our employees that takes it to a more compassionate, more relational level? Absolutely. That's a great question because a lot of times we, you know, we think, well, the system, if the system's broken or if that's the rules, then, you know, I'm screwed. What am I supposed to do? And I think that is absolutely the wrong way to think about it because I do think managers can absolutely and fundamentally um, control and shape the work experience of each individual. In fact, the employee's sort of most important experience of work is through the manager. So as a manager, the, the biggest thing that I recommend, the most common thing, and I think the most important thing you can do is you have to make time to be with your people, right? You have to spend time with your people, getting to know them, making yourself available to them, um, there's a story that I share in the book and there's a short story that I share frequently about my daughter uh, when she was seven. So this is several years ago. I was preparing for a presentation somewhere and I was talking about, I'd been playing around with using the word love sort of to describe some of the stuff that uh, I talk about in the workplace. And, and so I asked my daughter one day, just sort of out of the blue, like, Bailey, how do you know if someone loves you? And her seven-year-old little brain started spinning and she looked at me and she said, she, there were two things that she said. The first thing is she said, lots of hugs and kisses. Like I get lots of hugs and kisses. And I'm like, okay, well, that is not a practical workplace strategy that I can recommend. <laughs> but the second thing she said is the one that sort of stopped me. She said, they spend time with me. Mm. And, and it really struck me that like at seven years old, we know that time is the currency of relationships, right? You can't tell me that I'm important to you if you don't make time to spend with me. Like if that, that's how we, we have a limited, that is, that is our finite resource that we have in our lives is our time. And so what we do with our time sends really strong signals to the people around us. And so as a manager, you want to you sort of mitigate the damage that the system is going to do. Make time to be with your people. Let them know that you that they are important, and the way you tell them that is is by spending time with them. So it's things like having regularly scheduled one-on-one meetings with them. It is when they ask you for time, or you make you let them know anytime you need me, you just let me know. I'll make time for you. That sends just the act of making time for them is really important, um, and then through that time, really getting to know them as human beings and becoming mm. invested in them as human beings. Those two things. You know, which is knowing what's important to them, knowing what motivates them, knowing what gets them excited. All those things are important things. If you do those two things, um, you, can, you can mitigate the effect of almost all the rest of it. 
because you start to build a real relationship. They start to feel relationship with you and that you care about them and that can have a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. And it also gives them a sense of ownership, doesn't it? It does. I, I think ownership, I think, um, commitment to it, like, you know, all of that. But I think when the employee feels like they're in that relationship with the manager, um, I, you know, it creates all sorts of things, ownership, safety, it creates more safety. If they feel like you really truly care about them and that you've got their back, that allows them to show up to work a little bit differently, maybe a little more fully. Um, there's a lot of positive benefits to that building that foundation of, of relationship. So I think that's critically important. Mm, mm. And a much healthier work environment. I mean, you know, they're going to get along with everybody else too, not just their manager. Yeah. And I think as managers, we forget how big of a role we play sometimes, you know, in, 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 in fairness, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to sometimes keep your eye on this ball because middle manager is probably the hardest job in any organization because you're getting piled on from every direction. The workload is incredibly high. You've got all these stupid meetings that you have to go to all day and and then on top of that, you're supposed to be making time and building relationships with your people. And mm -hmm. that, if, if that's not been part of your traditional model, that's a really hard thing to find time for. It's like, how do I do this? But what they often, what, you know, what generally you'll find is that when you do start making time and investing in your people and building that relationship, they step up in a different way. They start producing at a higher level. They start supporting you in a different way that actually helps you get your job done. Uh, more effectively. And it makes job, it makes your job as a manager suck a lot less, right? When you have good relationships <laughs> with your people, it's just more enjoyable, right? When your mm -hmm. people don't hate you, resent you, whatever, like that just makes going to work a lot easier. So, but it's hard. It is not an easy thing to do, but it is something that's important and it's something that you can have a big impact. And for me, this was something I realized along the way is that I wasn't always in a, as I was coming up back to my initial story, as I was coming up in, in the corporate world or in any business world, I realized very early that I couldn't change the system in most cases, at least not right away. That was a slow process. But the thing I could change was the experience of the people that I had responsibility for. And so over time, by screwing it up a lot and getting feedback and getting better and learning, I, I started to figure out that like, oh yeah, this is how I can do this. I can actually create this bubble of experience that isolates my people from the, you know, from the broken system. Sorry, I had to fix my mic. It was falling. So good. I, that's really important because I noticed in, in the book you quote a Gallup poll that talked about the difference that actually having a relationship um, for managers meant. Yeah. We've known this data for years and years. I mean, the bad news is, is that it's not usually the focus is it, it's most commonly stated as, well, we don't leave jobs, we leave managers. Yeah. So it's the negative, right? So again, we're back to beating up on the middle manager. They're already overworked and overstressed and they're trying to carry all this load. And then by the way, they get blamed for everything. Mm -hmm. As opposed to focusing on when middle managers are good, when they're building relationships, the middle manager's actually compensating for all the stupid, ridiculous garbage 
that we're doing from the HR perspective or from a leadership perspective, they're actually trying to protect their people from all this nonsense. Mm -hmm. That's another layer of heaviness, but they don't get the credit for that often, right? We just blame them when people leave. And so, but yeah, the, the data is there. It's pretty clear that when we can managers at all levels, when they do their job in a way that builds relationship, fosters relationship, it has a positive impact. Mm -hmm. So how do we, transmit that information beyond setting an example to upper level management to really show them that having a relationship with the team is good for everybody. Well, that's easier said. That's a, that's a hard question. Um, not a, not an, uh, not one that can't be solved, but one that is a, a daunting one, I think for most people, because, you know, influencing executives, the amount of time and energy we give to that, right? It's super important. We got to get the executives to, to figure this out or think about this so that we can change the system. There's a, there's a few ways, I think. One of them is what I have found and what I try to do when I'm working with a leadership group is ask them to pause. I usually do some, do an exercise or two where I just ask them to reflect on some questions about times in their career uh, when, you know, on the one hand, a time when they were really in love with their job, when everything was working, when they felt great, you know, they felt like they were doing their very best work. And then I asked them to reflect on some questions about a time in their job when it was really bad, because we've all had those experiences. And, And if you can get them to unpack that just a little bit and think about what was causing that, they usually can arrive at an aha about what was happening and the kinds of things they were experiencing and how they felt and all those kinds of things. And a lot of times they can draw that back to a big part of that was the manager that they had or the people that that were around them and the experience that was being created for them. And so when you can get them to flip that on and then say, yeah, see, that's you for these people, Mm -hmm. right? And it Mm -hmm. starts here. Sometimes I, I find that in, in work, you, we spend a lot of times trying, trying to, and actually Gary Hamill uh, is the one that I heard sort of really cleanly state this recently. He was talking about some of his new stuff, but he was talking about how organizationally we really, we've spent a lot of time focusing on behaviors, like behavior change, but we fail to address kind of the mindset and the belief level. Mm. And then if we don't, if we don't affect or change mindset, or change belief, then behavior change is temporary. Because if I don't understand why I am doing something or taking some action, a lot of times what happens is I can get you to take that action, but as soon as a distraction comes up, I'll fall back to my default muscle memory, my default habit. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can change my mindset, if I start to think differently about something, I have a different understanding, then that starts to influence all of my behavior. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so... So that's what I often try to do and I try to advise people to do is to work on mindset and, and a lot of times is getting it back to personal, helping people reflect on it and sort of personally connect to an experience where they can feel the difference or have experienced the difference and then connecting it to their role in creating that for others. So that's mm-hmm. how I often try to attack it. It doesn't always work, but um, it's, good. it's a good way to at least start. Yeah, that sounds like a very good way to start. Because I think it's very challenging as a middle manager, for example, to 
be spending a lot of time, you know, on the floor with the employees and then their manager comes by and goes, Hey, you know, I need this, I need that. And start pushing them back into that box and into that channel that they're expected to be in. Um, but I also think that maybe performance and, you know, evaluations are going to help with that as well. Because if, you know, this manager is outperforming the other managers and the major difference is they're spending time with their, their team. That, you know, that's a great point. And one of the things that, uh, one of the funny things that I ran into when I first started talking about work as a relationship was when I would talk to executives and I'd break this down for them about how work is a relationship for the employee. And so the way that we can engage them and get more from them is we have to make work feel like a healthy relationship for the employee. And then I, I go through what that means and what that looks like. And it's things like appreciation and commitment and um, belonging and, um, you know, all of those, all of those sort of, um, elements of what a healthy relation or what makes for a healthy relationship. And one of the interesting things that came up was some of the leaders would say the, the, the higher up they were, the executives and the more old school they were, the more common it was that they'd say, well, yeah, but what about accountability? Like, where's the accountability? This feels like a bunch of kumbaya stuff. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I said is like, you know, that's a really interesting reaction because what I have found in my belief is that at the heart of any healthy relationship is a very pure kind of accountability, but it's a different kind of an accountability. It's a, um, in relationship, it's accountability. We choose to be accountable to this other person. We're choosing to meet your expectations and needs. And I'm committed. There's a a reciprocal kind of commitment that creates this accountability. And like, I, I talk about my marriage all the time. Like there is not a person in my life who I am more accountable to than my wife and vice versa. And that's by choice, not by force. And when they, and so when I start talking about relationship, the, the managers that are in great relationship with their people, it's not just about the touchy feely stuff. It's not just about getting to know you. It's not just about uh, spending time with you. That's a, you set a foundation of that. But you also need to be, and this is what I address in the book, is that you, you know, when you, performance management, like managing uh, performances, you can do that in a way that fosters and builds relationships. So it's, you know, being very clear up front about expectations. It's uh, being consistent in, in that accountability that if we're clear in our expectations of each other, me, of you as your manager and you of me as your, as the employee, you know, what you expect of me as your manager, if that's clear, and then we're in this conversation on an ongoing basis, providing each other feedback and, and, um, you know, we're talking about how we're doing and making corrections. And then we're doing all this other stuff in the relationship. Not only will the relationship be good, not only will we feel good, but we will, we will perform better. Like that when we're in great relationship, we give more of ourselves, we step up differently, we can perform at our best, we can be our best. And that's a, um, that, that's one of the things that gets missed sometimes is we think when we start talking about relationship that this isn't about performance. Mm-hmm. It's all about performance. It's just mm-hmm. a different path to performance, a path that, that recognizes there's a human being on the other end of it, not a robot that we're programming. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can imagine that you get a lot of pushback too from people that 
well, there's a couple of scenarios here that I imagine mm -hmm. having worked with a lot of startups. Okay, we're all going to go out for beer every, you know, three nights and hang right. out and be buddies. And yeah. that's not really the relationship. It's part of the relationship, maybe, but that's the relationship a lot of higher end managers might visualize is going to happen now. Right. And that's the part, you know, it's, that's a great, that's another great example or a great point that, that people extrapolate this into, oh, so we're all supposed to be buddies. We're all supposed to, you know, go hang out and, and drink beers together. And maybe, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it. I mean, I had people on my team over the years where we would do our one-on-ones over happy hour because that's how we connected. And that's, but it wasn't, it wasn't just sitting around drinking beers and talking. It was, we're talking about work and we're clarifying expectations and we're doing some coaching and we're doing some feedback, both directions. We're asking and receiving and giving feedback of, of one another. And so the, but the boundaries are clear, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's important to have those clear boundaries and expectations. And so you're right. It's, but it's also just like any relationship. Um, my relationship with my wife is different than most probably any other, you know, marriage would be or partnership would be like you. It has to do with the people in that relationship. And so I think generally speaking, anytime you're taking a single approach and applying it to everybody, that's not a great, that's not going to win because it will, usually it's whatever the manager prefers or the leader prefers. And then it's just being blanketed across everybody on the team, as opposed to this is really a one-to-one -one kind of thing. Relationships happen between individual people. And so I think sometimes that approach works and it works great for certain companies as long as they're clear about expectations and performance. Sometimes it's a failure. I so think a that, lot of times I've seen it be a total failure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, because they're doing that in, instead of the hard work of building yes. relationships and managing people, you know, setting clear expectations and doing all the stuff that you should be doing to manage performance through uh, a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there really has to be some level of compassion you know, for both on both respects from the employee for the manager and for the manager and the employee to really create a solid relationship rather than just, you know, yeah, we play ping pong at lunch. Yeah. 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 And they, you know, ping pong's great for some people, not great mm -hmm. for other people. And I, and, and that is, I think that the key is really still it, it's understanding and, and this is what I love about this shift in our language in the, in the world that I work in from employee engagement to increasingly talking about employee experience. Because if you're doing employee experience right, then that means you have to be thinking about that each individual employee has their own unique experience that happens through their lens and it's, it's being played against their expectations and past experiences and all these things. And so when you're thinking about and considering employee experience through the lens of each individual employee, it starts to, it moves you towards actions and activities that are like, how can we create a workplace that can deliver a, a nuanced and flexible and different kind of experience for different people that have different needs and different expectations and are coming from different places. So it becomes less about the, you know, it's, it's a beer, it's a happy hour for everybody three times a week. And it becomes about something very different um, for different people. And maybe that's in the mix, but that's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, still playing devil's advocate here. Go for it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so does this mean you're going to spend your entire day trying to make sure everybody has a wonderful experience mm -hmm. and we're all going to do kumbaya and it's going to be just so great and they're just going to take advantage of you now because they don't have any respect for you. Right. Well, I, I'll, I'll rewind. That's, and that's, I think, a lot of what... Um, even in the conversation about employee engagement, right? Even before I start making it, um, you know, sort of putting my hippie version on it of, you know, it's about love and relationships and all this. Like, I know that the hardcore, like that's a, the reaction is pretty, is uh, pretty intense sometimes. But again, the thing is, this isn't about, you know, a healthy relationship isn't just about that, right? You're right. If you're, if all you're concerned about is, you know, are you okay? Are you satisfied? Are you happy um, at any given moment without the, the rest of it, without the clarity of expectation, without the accountability, without the um, commitment, without the, the feedback processes in place, which are all part of any healthy relationship. My, mm -hmm. I think about with my wife or with my kids or with my friends, like you have to have expectations. You have to be communicating. There has to be some mutual accountability. There has to be all of that. And so in the absence of all of that, you're right. It becomes a, a big love fest and maybe no work gets done. And I do think a lot of companies fail because they fail to understand that. Yeah. One of the things my wife when, when we had young kids, that um, when she and I met, she, my, my stepson was like, was four, almost five. And one of the things I remember her saying to me very early on is that kids crave structure, consistent structure. Like it, it creates a predictability in their lives. It helps take the uncertainty out of their day. And as a result, you get less freakouts. And we sort of overlook that with kids a lot of times is we just sort of like assume like, well, they can adapt their kids. They don't need to know what's coming. They don't need. And so she was always pre-communicating stuff to kind of prepare our kids for what was coming. And I thought that's really interesting. And then I think about we do the same thing to people all the right. time, too, where, you know, we're not um, we're not building the structure that they need and crave. Sometimes we think that it's like, well, they don't want any structure. They just want to be, you know, we, we assume like, well, you know, Dan Pink says it's mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And autonomy is take out all the rules and let them do whatever they want. And it's like, that's not what autonomy means. Um, a lot of times autonomy, to give you true autonomy, requires crystal clear uh, communication about what's expected and how we go about it actually requires sometimes more clarity and structure to create true autonomy in the workplace. And mm -hmm. so people miss You're right. People do miss that. This isn't a touchy feely thing. This is about, it is about emotion. It's about connection. It's about human relationships, but it's also about uh, making sure that we're doing the right things so that 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 relationship leads towards performance, improved performance that, that people can do their best at work or perform mm -hmm. to their capabilities. Mm -hmm. And we never really grow out of that needing structure part. I know right. there are people that I've worked with that really just don't deal with structure well. And some people who really can, can have that autonomy because they're very um, grounded in where they are and they're very comfortable. And, you know, something you talk about in the book is helping people find 
their why. What is their meaning and their purpose for doing what they're doing? And that's one of the jobs of a manager too, is to draw that out so that we can be more grounded in our role. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways that you can approach that. But one of the important things in connecting people to that are making work feel meaningful is very much about connecting them to a sense of purpose or a sense of why. And that can exist on a few levels. It can exist like you discussed. There's some companies that are doing some really cool stuff to help um, to help people uncover their own individual purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like what is my purpose as an individual and then finding ways to connect that to the work that I do. But there's also organizations that are doing some really great work on uh, essentially talking about or clarifying and articulating the why of the work or the why of the organization Mm -hmm. and then connecting it back to the employee and that like, here's why what you do helps us realize on this bigger purpose, this bigger sense of meaning. And so it can go both directions. Ideally, you want both of those things in place Mm -hmm. where as an organization, you're helping me articulate and understand what I'm driven, how I'm driven, what my why, what my purpose is. And at the same token, you're communicating to me why our work matters, what difference it makes to our customers or our communities or whatever it is to the planet. And those two things make it feel really rich and meaningful to work here. Uh, But that's, you know, getting to that spot can take some work. I, as a, as an individual manager, I think one of the easiest things you can do is really make sure you sit down with people and have conversations with them about how and why their work contributes, right? Even just to the value chain of the organization. Like here's how we, you know, here's how we create value. I want to make sure you understand how what you do on a day-to-day basis may not seem that important, But if you don't do this, then it creates this impact. Or when you do a great job, it has this effect. And then that does these three things, which ultimately helps us accomplish this overall mission. So even at a very simple level as a manager, making sure people have line of sight into how their day-to-day tasks, work, deliverables, whatever it is, are contributing to something larger than themselves is a great place to start. Yeah, because a lot of times we, I've, I've seen managers and I know as a manager myself, I've assumed that somebody knows already, Right. <laughs> you know, oh, you must know what you're doing and how important you are to the company. And then when they leave, you're like, wow, that's going to hurt. Yeah. I never told them. Yeah. So, and of course that was much in the past, you know, not recent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. right. I grew up. We all know better now. <laughs> Everybody knows better now. Right. But, and that, that connects back to something that you, you was know, another piece that I talk quite a bit about in the book. And I often talk about with managers is how universally bad we are at expressing appreciation. And it's not even about, I mean, and, and even organizationally, I'm, I'm thankful that we're talking more about employee recognition these days than we ever have. But even today, we still have made it in, we've made it a little gimmicky at times. It's about giving you a gift card or it's about, it's usually about recognizing some kind of exceptional thing you did um, as opposed to, you know, not realizing that like I, again, I connect, I connect everything back in case you haven't noticed to back to my life in my house with my family. So, but I, you know, I think about every day, what makes our house go is that there are, you know, 
different family members do different things, right, to make it work. And I don't, you know, should I, my wife said what she like last night, I took my son to a, his soccer game. It was a long, it was a, a trip. So it was an hour up and then the soccer game and an hour back. She had something else going on. So she stayed here uh, or had a meeting she had to go to. So she was here. And so when I got back, she said, thanks for taking Colton to his game. She didn't need to say thank you for, I mean, like, of course I was going to take Colton to his game. Like it wasn't a necessary expression of appreciation. That's my job as his dad. Like, of course she had a meeting. I didn't, I was going to take him to the game, but her saying thank you for that or me saying thanks for, thanks for the amazing dinner. Um, Cause she does it every day. It's easy to take for granted the contributions we make. And I think that's what happens at work so often, especially with our, our people that are just consistent go-to performers that show up every day, get it done, are never, never create drama, never create problems. You don't ever have to really think about them. They just show up. Those people go, come, up, come in and go home a lot of times every day, not even knowing that anybody noticed they were there. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we, like, we have to get better at not just appreciating or expressing recognition when you do something exceptional, but just looking around and noticing, right? Seeing people and saying, hey, I see you. I see you and I appreciate you and thank you for being here today because what you do matters. And that's something that we have to learn. We have to just get into a habit as managers. We do because that makes such a huge difference. And especially, you know, as you say, when you have someone who's a consistent performer and, you know, they're always doing a great job, you don't have to shower them with gift cards, which is a shortcut and just lazy. And you really just acknowledging them and letting them know because sometimes they may be feeling a little bit of resentment that, you know, I've been working really hard and nobody's noticed lately. Um, One of the really cool, um, not to, you know, always trying to, you know, as an author, I'm supposed to always, they always want me promoting my book, but I think another really interesting book on this is the, there's a book that was, well, most people know the five love languages, the, that book that came out. And then there was a book that followed one of the authors of that wrote a book called the five languages of appreciation at work. And just the fundamental idea of it is so cool because it, it basically calls out the idea that not only do we need to see people, but we need to see people and express appreciation to them in the way that matters to them most. So mm-hmm. some people really love those gift cards and the stuff that you give them, right? That's a really, like, that's really important to them. My, my language of appreciation is quality time. And so like I, I needed my manager to spend my one-on-ones were always super long because I had a lot to talk about. And like, that was what was most meaningful to me was time. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that have different motivators in terms of, of that. And so you realize if you're trying to express appreciation to someone in the wrong language, it's good that you're expre- expressing appreciation, but it also can have a counter effect or not have the effect you intended. And so that's why this is all complicated. So as a manager, one of the things that I, and I do, I think, talk a little bit about this, but one of the things I, I recommend is asking people. Sto- and I actually originally um, heard this or read this in the How Full Is Your Bucket book that was written 20 years ago, another Gallup um, book, that they have a, a recognition interview where you just ask people things like, you know, what's the best recognition you've ever gotten? Or... Um, how do you prefer to be recognized? Just having that conversation with people. So they'll tell you like, yeah, don't, don't make a big deal out of it. Just send me a note mm-hmm. or 
whatever. Like it, when you have that conversation that allows that can amp up, like whenever you do want to express appreciation, you do it in a way that has the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about listening. Yeah. Ask. Asking a question and actually listening. to the Yeah. End. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I love how, how many times I was in meetings when I was in corporate HR, I'd be sitting in a meeting with leaders where they're sitting around speculating about what employees think or what they need to do or whatever. And I'm like, Hey guys, they're right over there. Like, let's <laughs> just go ask them. Can we just, let's just go talk to them. Let's ask yeah. them see what they say. It, I always was surprised by it's as if like we had to guess about it. You know, you don't have to guess, just go talk to them. They're right over there. Just go ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. I, it was both hilarious and uh, maddening. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> One thing that I would like to add to that too is, and this is a conversation that we have in our family is that when I, when I thank you for something, if you don't say some response like you're welcome, or it was my pleasure to do that for you or something that recognizes that the thank you had value, yeah. then that's very um, off-putting. And a lot of times people, you know, you'll say, oh, thank you so much. And they're like, oh, that old thing, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever that is, it's actually devaluing somebody was actually honoring you. And yeah. so returning that honor is another thing that we very often forget to do. And I think it's really important. Humans are so messy and complicated, you know, cause you think about that, like that's a cultural, that's a culturally conditioned response that we have. And I, I, I speculate that it comes from a couple of different places. On the one hand, you might've grown up in a house where you were conditioned not to need or seek out any sort of special recognition. Like that's, you're just not supposed to do that. That's something that's unbecoming or whatever, or or it's a, it's a protection mechanism, which is, I know that I'm probably never going to get recognized. And so the safest thing to do is just deflect all of that because, mm-hmm. I, because I think there's also an element of like, if you're recognizing me for something, it, it shines a light on something that I might not be like, well, you know, th- there's a, a call to greatness sometimes in that or a call to be more. And sometimes that doesn't, that doesn't feel uncomfortable. So there's just, there's so many dynamics on both sides of it. Um, and I always loved, I always loved um, Marshall Goldsmith years ago, hearing him speak. And he always talked about feedback when you get feedback and it's sort of the same thing. It's when you get feedback, he said that the only and best response to receiving feedback, regardless of what it is, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, is just thank you. Mm -hmm. Just thank you because it's a simple acknowledgement and it's, it's sort of the same thing that if you want more too, if you want to encourage more appreciation, then when people give it to you saying, thanks, that means a lot to me. That's yeah, it. Just and and that, yeah, because then that's like, you're like, oh, good. Well, then I'm going to keep doing that. So it's a good way to condition your manager. If you're an employee and you want your manager to give you more appreciation, when you get any sort of appreciation, making sure they know how much that meant is a really good way to maybe get more in the future. Everybody write that down mm-hmm. <laughs> right there. Manage the manager. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a really, really good chat. And I, I really enjoyed the book. I think that it's as I said, very timely and, you know, people really need this. So how are they going to get it and how can they find you? 
Well, it should be. It should be available almost any place you go to buy your books. Obviously, Amazon's a really easy place to find my book. It's just Unlocking High Performance. You'll find your way to that. Uh, something really exciting is we just found out that uh, just actually yesterday, I think I finally found out from my publisher that the audiobook version is available. So if people want to listen to their books, because I know there's a lot of people that do that, you can do that as well. And that's available on Amazon and, and Apple Books and Google Play and any place else you get it. So that's where you can find that. If you want to find me, all you need to do is Google me. Um, you'll, you'll come up with a lot of ways to find me as long as you can spell my name correctly. Um, you'll be able to find me. Um, or you can email me directly, jason at jasonlortzen.com. My website is jasonlortzen.com. Lots of ways to, to find me. Um, social media, reach out. I love connecting to people. Great. And I'll put those all in the blog post as well so people can find them. Cool. And, Thanks, uh, Janet. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed this. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs>